This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. You're listening to Talk About Gay Sex Podcast, the weekly podcast that dissects all topics related to gay sexuality with host Steve Rodriguez and his co-hosts Jeremy Ross Lopez and Steve Carpenter. Be sure and visit us at tagspodcast.com. That's T-A-G-S podcast.com, where you can check out our blog, contact us, and subscribe to get updates and more. Now let's get into some gay talk with host Steve Rodriguez. What's going on? You are listening to Talk About Gay Sex. I am your host, Steve Rodriguez. Really excited today to be talking to author Cameron York of his trilogy of books. The book that I read is called Chasing the Dragon. Uh, Cameron, how are you? I'm well, and you? Very good. I'm, I'm actually in Los Angeles, and I think you are uh, uh, somewhere... Where are you actually? I'm in uh, Madeira, Port- uh, Portugal. Very nice. Very nice. Um, well, great. Different time zone, but we are alive, or at least live recorded. And I read your book, Chasing the Dragon, um, but it is a part of a trilogy of books. And can you explain sort of the trilogy and how you came about it? Okay, so the um, originally I, I thought I'd write one book about um, the whole chemsex drama, but um, as I got into it, there was just so much content that, that needed to be said and so many different perspectives that I sort of felt that um, I should tell the story right the way through. So the first book uh, covers basically uh, experimentation and initiation into the whole chemtech situation and, and how you get into it to start with. And then the second one explores more addiction and um, self-medication for, for depression and anxiety, which is quite common in that whole sex, uh, chemtech situation. And then the third one is basically what happens when you go to jail. Exactly. So I read the first book, um, Chasing the Dragon, and you say chem sex, um, chemical sex, and there was, um, it's, first of all, the book is really riveting. It's a page turner. You do a, a great job of accounting um, not just how you ended up in having you know, chem sex, but sort of an introduction of how you were a travel writer, you a documentarian, and the first part of the book is really just kind of, exp- you have a bo- boyfriend at the time, and you are yeah. working on a, a couple documentaries. Um, is that That's right? right. Yeah. And yeah. following you during that whole period um, is just it gives a great background of who you are um, and what's going on. But then... Um, that relationship ends and um, you do a really good job of recounting um, because I guess most of your work at the time was um, uh, freelance work, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so um, after the breakup, um, like I said, it, it is riveting and in a page turner and you talk about the first time you sort of met up with somebody and how um, they introduced sort of the drugs. And it was the not the drugs that people are used to, or that you were used to at the time. And I wanted to kind of like uh, talk about that first time and how you kind of got into it. Um, what was that first sure. time like? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, was, it was sort of 
quite a shock, really, because having been in relationships pretty much all my life, I um, hadn't been exposed to any of this sort of culture um, uh, over the past five or ten years when, when it was in its early stages. So when I, this guy said, oh, um, do you like to party? And I sort of thought, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. um, yeah, I like a drink. And, um, and uh, so he said, um, oh, well, um, what, what chems do you like? And I sort of looked at him, and I didn't actually even know what chems were. So I, I, I assumed that they were drugs. So I said, oh, cocaine and ecstasy. And he, was, he just looked at me and, and laughed. And um, then he said, oh, I'll, I'm going to take you to a party. Um, I'll just ring my friend and make sure it's okay, but um, there's a party tonight. So I thought he was talking something like a housewarming party or a drinks party or something. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for. Exactly, and, exactly. Um, I mean, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a little bit of um, page 44. And, and maybe sure. take it from there. Uh, you say, um, just like you said, uh, this person said, you like to party? He asked, and you said, of course. Uh, he says, you chem friendly. And you say, I figured this was a hip way of refer- referring to drugs. Yeah, sure. I dabbled in cocaine many years ago, started when I was modeling, and like all good gay boys during the 90s, had done the odd ecstasy at raves and dance parties. What's your favorite, he asked. Coke and ecstasy, I countered. A bemused smile settled on his lips. My friend my friend is having a party tonight. You want to come with me, he inquired. Sure, I replied. I hadn't been to a gay party in such a long time and figured it might broaden my horizons and, and enable me to meet some new people. Okay, let me see if it's okay, he countered. And that's where it kind of went into where you walk into the party, like you said, and you discovered more drugs than the cocaine and ecstasy that you were had done and say in the nineties, correct? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so there was, um, crystal meth, um, methadone and, uh, GBL. And I'd never done any of those at all. And, so, and explain um, to they, us, they, um, cause I wasn't they, exactly sure what methadone was. Okay. So it's, I think you guys call it MCAT or meow meow. It's a um, basically a plant fertilizer, <laughs> um, but it gets you extremely horny, and, um, and uh, but and it lasts about probably an hour or so. So it's and it's a lot cheaper than crystal meth. So um, it's generally um, snorted. Um, we call it poor man's coke here because it's you take it the same as as you would you know, a line of coke, but it's, it's really harsh and it burns your nose. Um, but it does get you really horny and, and yeah, it's, got so it, it's, got it. it's, it's great for, yeah, great for parties. So I, yeah, so I thought they'd racked up these lines of coke. I just did a line and just, this stuff just burnt my nose like you wouldn't believe. And I was like, God, that's got to be the worst coke I've ever had. <laughs> um, and of course it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't right. coke. So, and then they poured this liquid into this drink, and I had no idea what that was either. And then, so pretty soon it all starts working together, and there's this mad full on orgy starts with the four of us, and, and um, yeah, <laughs> it goes. One thing leads to the next, there. yeah, right. Exactly. And um, so then, of course, once, you know, once you're high, it just kept going the whole night, and um, so then, uh, sort of, the next morning, I, 
I had work things to do. I had the cake and bake show uh, to to to, to uh, cover for a, a magazine. So I, I had to go home and get get changed and, and go and get it together. <laughs> business one, yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> wow! Wow! No, I mean, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. So, yeah, it was, I think there's a line in the book at the end of that chapter that says that I, I, I was sort of rather bemused by the whole idea that, um, uh, yeah, that I was respectable middle-class businessman by day and then, and then a slutty fuck machine at night time. It was <laughs> the two um, absolute extremes. Wow, wow, yeah. I mean, and the book kind of goes in, into really vivid accounts of how you continue to, I think you call it your new sexual awakening, um, exploring yeah. your single, um, like many of us do, um, but it keeps getting um, deeper in many ways, um, in more ways than one, and of this exploration of these parties. And explain to us... Because some, as I understand, and I've talked to other people before, is sometimes these parties aren't just like an overnight thing. They can last, you know, a whole weekend, days, correct? Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem, because what happens is once you, um, particularly with crystal meth, once you start to, um, to, to take it, your um, judgment becomes completely impaired. So what you would normally think would be a really stupid thing to do becomes the best idea in the world. And um, so, so more often than not, parties will start on a Thursday night. Um, guys will bring in sick from work on, on, on Friday and it'll go all Friday, all Saturday, all Sunday. And then by Monday morning, um, when they're supposed to be going back to work again, they're completely... No trash, and um, yeah. So a party can last three, four, sometimes even five days, um, and and it's just a continuous cycle of more drugs, and then mad sex part, sex orgies, and then a period of chilling, and then more drugs, and the cycle starts again. Well, and I'm curious when you're in this kind of mode of this partying, are you aware of the certain days that are? you know, ending and starting and is there a point where you're like, oh, 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 fuck, it's Monday morning and I have to go to work or do they sort of just blend in together and you're unaware? Well, it's sort of, yeah, I mean, you, you sort of have this passing notion that, oh, shit, it's seven o'clock in the morning and I've got to be at work at nine and then you think, oh, you know what, I'm just going to call in sick and um, you've got this, you all of your inhibitions are completely dropped. So by this stage, by Monday morning, you've probably had sex with 20 or 30 different guys. Um, and um, it's, yeah, mostly bareback um, because no one really knows about condoms or, or anything um, when you're that high. And um, you, so, so you sort of... Because your your judgment is completely is completely altered, it just seems a logical conclusion that you know you don't really need to go to sleep that day. Right. Um, yeah. Um, you you call it. And, oh, and go ahead. This, and the, and this spirals out of control. It, it, the more and more you get into it, the, the worse it becomes. So, you know, um, I was I was fortunate that I was um, self-employed anyway, so I didn't have a boss to answer for uh, answer to, but. More often than not, these guys, after after doing this three or four times, get fired or you know other disciplinary actions. So they then start to get to the point where they they're losing their income, and then 
very soon they lose their home and then, yeah, and it's a, just a, a snowball effect. At one point in the book, um, you call it, you were referring to, I guess it's a friend of yours, Joe, um, on page 69, you call it a, a sexual self-discovery process, um, which he didn't and couldn't understand. And I'm curious to know that when you're in this mode or when you were in this mode, um, did you somehow uh, logically, what, did it help you to make sense of it that you were in this sexual self-discovery and didn't realize uh, that you know days were going by and, and just what was going on in your head to make sense of all this? Well, I justified it, I guess. Um, so I... You know, after the first couple of a couple of um, sessions, and then so then you sort of get deeper into it. So you start off um, uh, smoking crystal meth, and then very soon there becomes a huge peer pressure to try slamming it. And then once you slam it, then of course you've broken another boundary. So then it all, that becomes a normal thing. So, and explain to us what um, slamming is, because that's a whole um, diff- totally different process. And I didn't know what that was. And then I read, it, I was like, oh, okay, wow, okay, now I get it. Yeah, because yeah, af- yeah. after you do it, you start yeah. administering it to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so basically, you uh, slamming is 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 uh, injecting um, crystal meth into the bloodstream. So, um, yeah, and to begin with, so there's, in Britain, there's a huge peer pressure to, to, to try it and, to, you know, to do it. And so, and then when you see other people doing it, you think, oh, my God, wow, they're having an amazing time. So then it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll try it. So then someone someone injects you and then... After a while, for me anyway, I sort of thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to learn to do it myself because I don't want to anyone else to be responsible for, for you know, things, things that might happen. So, so then I started, so that, yeah, so I, I learned, to, learned to do it myself. And then um, very soon other people couldn't, um, couldn't do it themselves, so then they needed someone to do it. And so then I got tied into starting to inject other people. And, and so then it became really difficult because in this sort of um, sex party situation, everyone wants to come up and get high at the same time. So sometimes I'd have four or five people lined up to be slammed. And so by the time I'd done them and then turn around to do myself, I'm standing there like silly nomades right. because um, everyone's already taken off and, and gone to the party and, and I'm sort of stuck on my own. So yeah, it's a bit, um, that, I mean that was just a side effect. Um, so so the, the when you slam it, you get this immediately intense high that sort of it takes about two seconds, and then you get this massive rush, and you're super horny and rock hard, and then you can fuck for basically six hours. Um, so yeah, every gay boy's dream, really. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and, it, and you do a really, you do a good job of explaining, you know, how, you know, people that you had met um, on various things like a party could turn into several people, and and you were at times, you know, administering this to different people. Did you feel sort of a responsibility at some level to kind of, you know, administer it properly and slam other people? Yeah, so um, there was a, a bit of a mixture, really. Um, it was sort of a massive turn-on to be to be doing it to someone else, anyway. But also, I um, 
yeah, I'd, I'd said to myself, I'd promised myself that if I was going to do it, I was going to do it properly and um, safely and, you know, there, there would be never any situation where I'd share, share needles or, um, you know, that, I, that, that, that the site wasn't completely sterile and, and all this sort of stuff. So when other people were having problems with, with doing it, then I, I sort of felt like, um, as I was a little bit older than most of the others anyway, um, I, I felt like I sort of should play the uncle a little bit and make sure that, you know, that it was done properly if they were going to do it. Right. Um, so, but, but I mean, you know, when I think back now, it was just, yeah, it's just such a scary, scary thought to be, you know, to be administering drugs to, to people um, at that level. It's just, yeah, it shocks me now. Whereas at the time, it was, again, the most normal thing to do in the world. Right. I mean, I think you say on, um, again, um, on, it's on page 76, you said, I have in my notes here, uh, he had me think that drugs were not such a big deal and more just a fact of life, a tool to be used in the pursuit of enjoyment. And, you know, we can all attest to or escape in that, yeah, I mean, we are always looking for that next best thing and that next best uh, sexual pursuit and certainly can all relate to that and bigger is always better. And, um, and yeah. I guess I just want to go into a little bit more on how um, when you do you know, make sense of it for yourself. Is there a point when you're so high that you can come down and feel shame or is there remorse about what you did? Um, Do those, are those deeper moments? Do they come about? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think I sort of talk about that in in the book as well, that I, I, while you're high, it's, it's all, you know, it's, it all seems fabulous. And then the next morning when you come down and your dopamine levels are really low and you're sort of feeling a bit depressed and stuff and you think, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, and you're horrified and then you're sort of really um, ashamed of what you've done. But then at the same time, you've broken that barrier. It's been done. You can't undo it. It's like losing your virginity. You can't, you, you can't grow it back again. So... So then when the situation comes up again the second time, you think, oh, well, yeah, fuck it, I've done it once, so yeah, why not? Right. And then, of course, once you, once you take that first smoke or that first slam, you feel amazing again, and then the cycle starts because you've got another six hours of not having to worry about anything at all and apart from pleasure and sex, basically. And so then... Of course, the reality sets in again once you come down again. So then you start to want to do it more because the more while you're high, you don't feel such remorse and guilt and shame and all that sort of stuff. So, so that's why I think crystal meth thing anyway isn't the drug itself isn't um, physically addictive, but it's psychologically addictive because you're constantly chasing that that feeling of acceptance and being wanted and, you know, being liked and, um, hence the title struggling with <laughs> yeah. depression and stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. If you're just, so, if you're just joining us now, I'm talking to author Cameron York and his book chasing the dragon, but it's actually a trilogy of books that you can read. Chasing the dragon is the first, which we were talking about right now. Um, I'm curious, Cameron. So, you know, because it is truly vivid and I highly recommend the book for many reasons, actually, if nothing else, just because you're, the sexual encounters um, you describe are 
are really hot at times, but that's the allure, I would imagine. Um, you start at one point not only um, going on this quest of sexual self-discovery, um, but hosting parties. And um, not only are you hosting, but that turns into dealing. Um, can you talk yeah. a little bit about how you go from experimentation to actually dealing these drugs? Well, it was, again, it was, it just crept up on me. And if anyone had said to me, you know, at the beginning of that year, you're going to be dealing class A drugs by the end of it and, and injecting them, I would have just laughed at them. You know, I mean, they were just so far removed from anything that I'd ever been sort of interested in or, or, or entertained before. But, um, so what happened was that we, so the drugs are expensive, right? And I, um, was, had already had financial problems with um, the fact that my boyfriend had cleaned the bank account out when he left. And so, um, and, and I was sort of fighting to, to stay afloat with, with the work projects that I had. And so, you know, to, to buy drugs was um, expensive and, and, and so I wasn't doing it that often. And then I had... Um, a bit of a light bulb moment. I was around at a friend's and we were having a couple of smokes and, and he said, well, why don't you just sell some drugs to you know, a few of our friends for, for the next few weeks until you get out of your financial problems? And um, it seemed like a perfect situation. So, so I thought, oh, well, look, I'll just, I'll just you know, get some good stuff and sell it to you know, the, the, our friends around, around the area, you know, 10 friends or so, if they all buy half a gram each a, a week, then that, that pays my rent. And um, the problem was that then they... So I, I, didn't, I didn't think anything about setting anything up or, or making it safe or anything like that. So I started putting work and that, you know, that I had some, some meth for sale. And um, so they all came and bought. And then they thought it was great, so they told all their friends. So their friends all then started ringing and wanting it. So within three months, the business that was supposed to be um, just a pocket money thing for for, um, for a couple of months to, to tide me over um, ended up with sort of 3,000 odd clients. And um, there was sometimes up to 500 people a day walking into my flat to buy drugs. Wow, wow. Yeah, I mean, so, again, I mean, was, you, you do a really good vivid account of um, how you sort of, like you just described, stumble into being the stealer. And um, again, at that point, are you at all thinking that this is, you know, you could get into trouble or this is getting out of control or is it really supplying your habit? Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was actually a bit of a shock and it, and it took off so quickly. But what I decided was I said, um, because we were all having trouble with the local dealers that were shortchanging us and, um, you know, they were, the, the prices were ridiculous and they, um, the, a, a gram was never a gram and they wouldn't, they, they never delivered on time and, and, you know, it was bad. And so when we were laughing over this and joking that, that, that I might do it, I said, well, it'd be interesting to see if over a period of time, um, by, being honest about it and giving full grams and good quality and good good service, whether you can make money out of it, and I guarantee you can if you just 
apply basic business principles. So um, right. I was, it was almost like a social experiment, and that's how I justified it. And so then, um, because people were getting full grams and they were getting good quality and that was being delivered and, it, you know, all the rest of it, I... Um, the clients just started to keep coming and they, they doubled every week. And so before long, I was buying, um, I, I never had less than 200 grams in the, in the, in the flat. And I, I actually didn't think anything about um, being caught or, or, or being in trouble because, um, you know, my friends had convinced me that I was providing a service. Right. So, so I just kept going. And, of course, you know, so then because I had so many drinks, they'd all come round, we'd all get high, then we'd have a bit of a party. And so, and then, so then they'd go home and tell all their friends that their drug dealer gave them free drugs for, 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 party, um, for a party. So then more people wanted to get involved because they wanted to be involved in the parties as well. And it just it, it just spiraled, and um, yeah, because so, it, you do you talk about how it's um, a system you you develop here, and how one of like you just said one of the ways that you would uh, get people to you know buy and be new clients would you would offer a, a free part of the drugs. And when they would try that, that would then say, well, if you want the other stuff, and that's how you, you got your clients. You also found some of your clients on, on apps that we use, uh, like Grindr, correct? Yeah. So um, in Britain now, um, basically Grindr is where you go to, to buy drugs and to um, hook up with sex parties. So it's um, it's the, the bad boy app, if you like. So... Um, you pretty much anyone that doesn't do chems now, um, if they're on Grinder, gets um, ridiculed and, and marginalised and sort of laughed at because um, you know they're not cool. They're not. They're not. They're not partying with the big boys, sort of thing. So, it's um, Grinder has become basically a, a, a sex party drug hooker. Wow, at um, least in Britain, right? Or. or- yeah, in Britain, but also in in other places as well. So I was in Grand Canaria last month, and um, it was over the over the Pride Week. It was it was as bad there, um, and um, I've, I've been in France as well, and it's you know, it's, it, it's happening there too. Um, I spoke to some people in South Africa um, last week that want me to go and do some a book tour there in October, and they said that it's it's out of control there and, and that, yeah, Grinder is the, the main culprit as well. So, um, and I think basically because Grinder doesn't check um, the content of people's uh, ads unless they're complained about. And of course, if everyone's on, on, on drugs and, and during the parties, they're not going to complain, are they? So, Did you find at one point that you were making enough living that you didn't even have to do your, your regular work that you could actually live off of this? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Towards the towards the end, I was, um, I think I was turning over about thirty thousand pound a week, wow. and um, of that, about uh, twelve thousand was profit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah per week, big yes, money, um, and that yeah. So that was quite quite a comfortable living, really. Um, yes, and, yes, I would um, say so. You know, yeah. Um, 
So, okay. So, um, one of the things that is, um, happens, you talk about in the book is about, uh, and how you kind of got into this is your self-esteem, your age at the time, which I think was in your late forties. Yeah. And how there was a part of you and how you felt about your body. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how maybe, uh, you got into this world uh, based on how you felt about yourself at the time? Yeah, so this is again quite a common occurrence with um, with, with this, this chemsex phenomenon, really, because I, um, well, having broken up with the, with, with the boyfriend, it was, there's, with any breakup, there's sort of a bit of a grieving process that you go, it's, whether it's grieving for yourself or for the loss of the partner, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you don't feel great, obviously, for a few weeks. And anyway, during the, during the relationship, things hadn't been right. And I'd been, um, I, I'd always always been the same size and, and, and prided myself that, that I was, that I was the same size and shape as I had been when I was 19. And in those days, I, I used to model. So um, I was standard model size. And, and so... Over that period, in, before this started to happen, I'd put on a lot of weight and um, I, I wasn't feeling good about myself anyway. And then when the, when the relationship went sour, um, I then started to have these sort of other feelings of you know, being old and over the hill and what's going to happen now and I'm going to be lonely in my old age and all this sort of stuff. And so I think... Um, I think I was probably more likely to try something like that basically originally just to fit in with the people that I was with and just to sort of, you know, because they were doing it, I figured, oh, well, you know, why not? I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll try it and, and, you know, at least then I'll be sort of doing the same thing as everyone, the same stuff as everyone else. And then, of course, you, yeah, <laughs> all sorts of things happen that you don't expect to happen. And so then you, the, 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 the low self-esteem and the, and the guilt and the, and the, um, uh, that sort of feeling of, of remorse comes back again. And so you, you, you end up even worse than you were to start with. And then, and again, the cycle starts again. But I, um, the other thing also too was that with crystal meth, you, because you don't eat for three days when you're at these parties, it's the perfect weight loss regime. So <laughs> right. instantly, within within about three weeks, I'd lost all of that fat that I'd put on, and I was back to being me again. And so that gave me confidence. And it, so, um, yeah, it was. Um, and also, the other thing is, at the age of fifty, when you've got a house full of twenty something pretty boys that um, all want to have sex with you, it's, it's a huge ego boost. And so, um, so that feeds your you know, insecurities as well and, 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 and justifies you continuing with the, with the whole thing. So it's, it's very easy to justify this existence. At the height of this, did you, the people that you would, you know, meet up with, um, did you ever consider these people like true friends? Did you know who your friends were at this point or, or who, who was your friends? Yeah. Okay. So we had, um, we, we had a few conversations about this because, um, I think that's a common mistake that a lot of drug dealers make is that they, they think that they're, that, that by giving, free drugs to 
some of these people that you know that they'll include them and make them and be their friends and and that you know these people are coming around to see them personally as because they're genuinely friends and um that's just not the case. They're coming around because they want free drugs, right? Um, <laughs> and, and they want a host, uh, you know, a place to have uh, to have sex, basically. So um, I was well aware of that, and I but and some but sometimes you do sort of slip into into this sort of thing, this, this feeling that oh, he's a good kid, and he's you know he's he's yeah he's more of a friend really. But unfortunately, they very quickly remind you that they're not by their actions. You know, um, I had people that would come around to my house and steal from me and um, you know and it wasn't just stealing drugs either they'd go through my bedside tables and steal jewellery and steal clothes out of my wardrobe and things like that so um, yeah it was quite clear that they weren't my friends certainly having um, gone through the whole process and done a prison term and then come out the other side and realised um, uh, yeah who's left I now know exactly who my friends are, and, and um, yeah. You talk, yes, there because are very you talk. You talk a lot about how you know. In many ways, you were generous, and you were a little bit older, and in some ways, um, like the big brother. In some ways, to a yeah. lot of these, and so I could see where, um, you know, your generosity and and uh, being this sort of big brother to many that people you were likable and, and I'm sure it seemed reciprocal at times. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, unfortunately in most cases it wasn't. And there right. are probably out of, out of those 3,500 odd clients, there are probably about three that I still speak to. Okay. Okay. Um, right. You know, I mean, I've got them all on my mailing list and don't worry, I've sent them, um, messages to, to buy the books. <laughs> but, but <laughs> of I, course, yeah, they're, right. They're not, they're not people that I regard as friends. And, um, and you know, uh, yeah, there are, there are a couple that have come back to me and said, oh my God, I didn't realize how deep we were all getting into it. And, um, I've, I've read your book and it's inspiring and I, I, I it's, it's made me turn things around. And I think, well, that's really great. And, and I'm really pleased that I, that I could do that. But I still don't want to be friends with those people. <laughs> because it could no. lead back to uh, this period? And by the way, how long was no, this period? Um, that well, About how many years? I was only um, 18 months, I think. Okay, okay. Um, so, and then, and then um, two years in prison. So, yeah. Wow. Um, or yes. 19 months in prison. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, three years in total. But um, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, I don't know that it's because it would lead back to that. And I, my, my new book, I've got, so there's the trilogy in this, in this series. And then I've written another one about um, deportation and, and immigration in Britain because I was also deported from, from uh, England. Wow. Um, with a <laughs> So, so, that, so that's basically the conclusion to the to the Chemtex trilogy, and it and it goes into detail about and and I had revisited the, the drugs again as well, just to sort of see what the appeal was or how you know how I would assess it again. And I come to the conclusion that actually, when you're happy and balanced and sane and and everything's going well, 
you don't actually need the drugs to have a good time. So the, the drugs are really are, are a, a, um, a support mechanism when you're um, having problems with mental health or you're depressed or you're having anxiety problems. And so, and, that, and, it, and it, it artificially convinces you that it's helping you. And um, so that's, that was an interesting experiment, experiment as well. And so I've, I've, I've put that in the final book and there are a few other conclusions as well in it, which um, I, won't, I won't give away now, but they're, um, yeah, it, it's, it was a really interesting sort of um, idea to go back there and just, and just see what, 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 the, what the appeal was. And actually there isn't that much at all now. Um, right, right. And what, but, would, what would you say was, you know, in, I mean, I read the book, at least the first one, and I'm really excited to read Candy Flipping and Double Bubble. But what would you yeah. say, um, and maybe there was more many times, was your rock bottom moment that, you know, you came to some conclusion on to change or get out of this? Or was it by, you know, being forced to... <laughs> Well, I, you see, the thing was that when, when we started this experiment, or when we, when we had this joke that we, you know, that I was going to, 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 to have this social experiment about the giving good value and all that sort of stuff. And I said, oh, and, um, you know, and then I can write a book about it, the secret diary of a drug dealer sort of thing. And it was a big right. joke. But then when it, um, when, when it, it sort of started to take off, I thought, actually, this is going to be a really good book. And so I kept going, but I'd always intended to give up in the, at the end of that year anyway. And um, so what happened was that um, then I got, I, I got arrested just before I was ready to give up. Um, and the problem was they took my passport away. And because I wasn't a British uh, resident, because I'd never bothered, because I was always working for overseas companies... Um, I had no way of working because I couldn't work in Britain and they'd taken my passport so I couldn't travel any longer. So I had no um, alternative but to continue because it was the only way I could pay the rent. Wow. And, um, and so I had, there's a, there's a, in, in candy flipping, there's a, a, a phrase where um, I'm having uh, dinner with my mother and I've had to tell her the whole story about what's happening and now I'm, you know, have to go to court and, and, and things and, and oh, wow. no, I need money for the lawyer. And yeah, and then, so then she said, um, oh, so, so um, is it over now? And I said, well, and I, my mother and I always have this sort of um, battle <laughs> over everything. And so I said, well, ironically, mummy, I'm having to deal drugs to pay for the, for the legal fees. <laughs> and, um, and she said, oh, don't be ridiculous, Cameron. Now's not a time to be glib. And, um, <laughs> so, oh, wow. But you were serious, yes? I, I was serious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was joking. But, um, yeah. So, but, I mean, you know, so this was the thing. And I'd say with a 20,000-pound legal bill, I, I had no choice to con continue to sell drugs. But I um, got to the point just the, the Christmas of 2015 that I was just completely finished with it. I hated it. I didn't want to, to do it anymore. I was worried every time the doorbell rang. I was, I was in pain. I was, I was doing ridiculous amounts of drugs, probably um, two or three grams a day. Um, and um, it, was, it was just my whole life was spiralling out of control. And, and 
um, you know, people were coming around and I just, I lost interest in everything. So people would come around for sex. So I'd just have sex like a machine to, for the sake of it because they wanted to get high and do it. And it was just a, you know, something that it was a chore really. And so then when I was, when I was arrested in February, um, for the second time and I knew that I wasn't going to get bail, it was almost a relief in a way because I was just at such a low ebb and I just, I had no way of getting out of the cycle. So in some ways, the prison was sort of a, a welcome respite in a right. way. Um, but I mean, it, it, you know, it wasn't obviously, but it was, it was a way of, Stopping it and 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 you know drawing a line and and that was it that was the end of it and so um, that and then we, I sort of that I talk about that period in in double bubble but um, that was yeah that was the time that I that I sort of thought that you know this is just what was I thinking right. um, and um, so then I then I started to then I, while I was in prison I started to write the book so the three books were all written while I was in prison. Wow, that's really amazing that you were able to do that and turn this all around. I'm curious though, like when you do finally, obviously in prison, you're sober. Um, how is it going back to sex and and making sex hot again without the chemicals and you know, sort of sober? So yeah, I mean the thing is with 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 the chemicals, you're um, you're like everyone's hot. That's An animal, really right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah the, the gatepost. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, so so it's um, it's it's sort of easy. But then when you when you're sober, well, I mean, I didn't have sex in prison, so um, <laughs> no hot stories there, right? Like our fantasies, yeah. <laughs> right? But um, but yes, yeah, so when I came out. Um, well, I hadn't had sex for like eighteen months, so yeah, it it, it was it, it wasn't it, it was it was okay. It was it was. Um, I think part of my problem was that I was um, a bit anxious about it because I hadn't sex, couldn't ha- hadn't had sex for so long. But um, yeah, once once I got back into it, it was all it was all good. Um, and then it, it was interesting because actually when I went when I was in Grand Canary and I and I did some crystal meth there with a couple of friends and and it turned into this party and I just wasn't interested in it and it was just I was sort of sitting on the sideline watching this and thinking God how was I ever interested in doing this and and this is while I was high so it was actually quite bizarre that it was sort of like a. Uh, sitting on the sidelines and 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 watching my life flash before me and thinking, what were you thinking? Um, and you know, and these friends of mine were, were still really into it and going for it with these really quite unattractive men. And I thought, God, this is just this is so not what I want to do anymore. Right, a whole different so, view of um, it. Um, was there ever a period where you considered yourself addicted or an addict to all of these drugs? Because you mentioned that you revisit them and, you know, in other, as we know, if an alcoholic can't just, you know, let me just try a a swig of this and, and see if I still like it. Yeah, I've always had, I don't think I have an addictive personality and I've always had, um, this fear of being prohibited from doing something or, or you know, or, or banned from ever doing it again. Right, being told you can't. So, you know, 
Yeah, and yeah, and so there's. Um, I mean, there've been periods in my life when I've had. Um, when I've been drinking heavily and, and I thought, oh, you know, there's, things are not right. You're not in balance, so you shouldn't be doing this. So I've just, I've just stopped for a couple of weeks until things sort of calmed down again. And I should have done that with the drugs. It was just, you know, I should have applied the same sort of technique. But um, I, I don't think I was physically addicted to, to, to meth anyway. And so when, when I, because I had no withdrawal symptoms when I was in prison at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were times on occasion that I thought, oh, God, I'd love a gin and tonic and a lime and coke. But um, oh, right. I, yeah, but I, but I, yeah, I, no, I never had um, this feeling of, oh my God, I've got to have something now, you know. Um, and so when I went back to, to, you know, when I tried it again recently, it was sort of like, oh, well, it was there. And I thought, well, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm now in control of things. I can control how things work and and how I how much I get involved in it and and actually when I yeah when I did try it I thought yeah I don't know what the big fuss was about but I mean obviously I do because it's a psychological thing that preys on your vulnerabilities and and that's that's the big problem with it um, and for normal sane healthy people um, there's no need to do it because um, they. You know, they get enjoyment from things anyway. Right, right. And so you were able to, you know, um, have a looking glass at this and realize this is not healthy for you. Um, But for others out there who may be listening, struggling with this, reading your books, um, are those are do you believe um, that some people can become addicted? And how hard could it be for some people to get off this roller coaster? Okay, so it's um, it, it is absolutely the combination of sex and the drugs is absolutely addictive. It's a psychological addiction. So it's because it feeds your ego, it feeds your um, it, um, it, it gets rid of your insecurities, and it makes you feel on top of the world. And of course, then you also feel wanted because all these people want to have sex with you, and so you've got. Um, um, you know, these sorts of things are, are, are addressed as well. So you you feel liked and wanted and and, um, and special, if you like. And so, um, yes, that that is absolutely addictive. But if you can just get off the drugs, which you, there aren't any withdrawal symptoms with, with crystal meth, um, then you can... You've, and I talk about this in, in the third book, there are other, you, you've got to look at other triggers and other, other mechanisms to, to replace what the drugs are doing. So for me, when I was in prison, to keep my mind off all of this stuff, I buried myself in writing, which is the, sort of the books are the result of that. But um, now I, well, well, now actually I've come full circle and I, and I actually just, uh, I'm not interested in that at all. And I think everyone does come to that realization eventually. Um, and and I also think that I, I have a bit of a different view to this sort of addiction and, and this whole thing that you can never touch another drop. You know, it's it's very difficult to promise yourself that you're never going to do something for the rest of your life. And so I think it's more important that if you do lapse or you know fall into it that you recognize it for what it is and 
accept that you have been weak and that, you know, it might even happen again, but just try and stop it, you know, to try not to make it happen. Um, and, and just realise that, you know, realise that, that we're not all perfect. We can't all um, promise things and, and, you know, and deliver them all the time. And, and it's okay, you know? Right, right. Um, one of the great things that you have done to turn this around is um, you created a foundation and the proceeds of, um, I guess, some of the proceeds are, um, uh, are used for your foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, again, I, obviously because of, the, because of the drugs and because of... The, the process that I went through, I, I wrote the books really for, for four main reasons. The one, first of, first of all, was um, to help people that are thinking of experimenting with it to make a, an, an informed decision um, and, and to know about the, the risks and, the, and, you know, things before they do it. Um, the second one was to inspire and help people that are that are coming off it um or that are, that are struggling with it the victims of, of it um to, to to make them feel that that they're not alone and that there is you know there are other, are other people that have come through it and 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 turned it around the third one was really to look after to um to inform um loved ones of people that are going through it so that they know how to support them and how to help them um, in, in, in coming off. Um, and, um, and, the, and the fourth one was to put um, pressure on the government to change policy to, um, to recognise this as an illness and to treat it as an illness rather than treating it as just a criminal offence. And so the foundation is, the, and all of the proceeds of these three books will go to the foundation to, to fund um, fund this. So there are so many people that have lost their lives or lost their, their, their sort of um, the lives that they had. They've lost their jobs. They've got they've if they've gone to prison, then they're they're um, unemployable because they've got a criminal record and they have to um, divulge it. So I wanted to be able to do something that would inspire them and to and and would would help them um, redefine what they want to do and where they want to go, whether it's self-employment or whether there, there are other employment opportunities within other, other people that are in the same situation. So um, we've, it's, the foundation's just very, very young now. So we have, um, uh, we're going to be doing uh, boot camp type um, uh, projects where we have them for two weeks or so in the south of France and we really analyse what they want to do and then work with them to, to write business plans or to to work out and to, to, to plan how they're going to achieve what they want. And um, there are also, um, obviously, they, they, they have the opportunity to be able to talk to us or to, to, to um, talk to people that have been through it and exchange ideas and, again, feel that they're not going through it on their own because very often most people that are coming off it feel that they are completely marginalised. Right, right. And um, in your opinion, do you, would you say, um, it kind of sounds like it um, based on your travels, but in your opinion, would you say that it's this uh, chem sex in the gay community is growing or or what would you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's growing um, exponentially. It's, and it's, it's, it's really, um, 
Because it's, I think a lot of it is brought about by the fact that we still, in 2018, have a situation where people can't be completely uh, openly out at work or in, you know, in public or in, in, in within the community in some places. And um, and so, particularly in Asia, it's it's growing rapidly. Um, South Africa are reporting epidemic um, um, incidences of it, and it's completely out of control. Australia and New Zealand it hasn't really started yet. It's just starting now. And um, America, it's been happening for 20 years. Right, right. Um, but it's, it's um, again, it's growing there too. Canada now are, are, um, are experiencing huge growth in it as well. Um, so, yes, I, I think it's not over by a long shot. And I think um, it's, yeah, they're, they're going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds well thousands of of guys that that are are going to end up in the same situation as I did because of the same reasons really um unless we can do something about it and so that was part of the reason why I wrote the books and 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 you know so that so that it would raise awareness and um and so that people would know how to deal with it well, I love it. And the books are at least the one I read, and I'm going to read the other two. Um, really riveting, but a really good account. And uh, I love what you are doing with, you know, this time in your life. I mean, really turning it around. Um, how can people uh, follow you or, or find the foundation? Okay, so if you Google Cameron York, I think there's about five pages of me. <laughs> um <laughs> So um, just get in touch, and 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 I can tell you, you know, I can I can point you in the right direction of the foundation. But also, um, I'm on Twitter, so I'm um, at Cameron York, um, York with an E on the end, and um, we have a Facebook page, Cameron York Books. My website is probably the best one, though. It's it's just www.cameronyork.com. And the books, uh, Chasing the Dragon, Candy Flipping, and Double Bubble, are I was able to download them on my Kindle, but uh, people can get um, them in paperback, yes? Yes, yes. So they're available in paperback and uh, ebook, um, and they're, from, they're also available at Thunder Noble and pretty much any other um, bookstore in the U.S., as well as Amazon. And, um, yeah, and the paperbacks are available on Amazon and um uh, and also, I think it's going to be in bookstores from about uh, August, um, in right across the US as well. So, wow, wonderful! Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and again, I was reading Chasing the Dragon, and I would be sharing with my my mom, my friends, and everybody. Like, oh my god, this book is very riveting because of your account, um, and it's it's very. Um, you just do a really good job of of putting us in the picture, but also of you know. You're the downfall of it all too. Um, they are. Yeah. I can't read, to read the other ones. Uh, Cameron York, I want to thank you so much for enlightening enlightening us about um, your story and and really turning it around. Oh, thank you. No, it's um, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, the, the books were um, uh, something that I sort of battled with a little bit because I wasn't sure how honest to be with them um, and how, how much how much of the truth to tell. But in the end, I decided that you know the, the story needed to be told in its entirety, and I was sort of a bit worried that you know people would um, start to to worry about the 
the sex scenes and things, but actually they've been received really well. Um, and even within the straight community, people have said, oh, they're a bit raunchy, but that's, that's about as far as they've gone. So I'm, I'm really pleased that, you know, that they've been accepted so, so well as well. Right. So um, it's been a, 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 a a, a great journey, really. <laughs> I would say so, and and it continues actually in in a positive way. Um, Cameron York, yeah. I want to thank you so much for being on the show and I and for opening our eyes on this and um, and much much more success to you with with the book tour and the and the books. Oh, thanks so much. That's that's amazing. Thank uh, you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talk About Gay Sex. Go to our website, tagspodcast.com. That's T-A-G-S podcast.com and get updates on all of our and get updates on all of our latest show. Get the show notes and find out about new upcoming events. It's tagspodcast.com. See you next week for a new episode.